0: Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. I'm Will Smith, president of GCI Consultants, and I'll be your host today. And with me is Brett Taylor, a professional engineer and senior consultant, too, here at GCI. Brett is one of our consultants that also provides litigation support services. And today we're going to be talking about GCI's approach to providing this type of service. But Brett, uh, before we get into the details of this, we probably have some people that listened the last time you were on and maybe some that didn't. So maybe you can just give them
1: briefly a little summary
0: about yourself and your background.
1: Okay, sounds good. Um Brett Taylor. I'm a professional engineer of twenty six plus years. Um graduated at NC State University in North Carolina. I got my start like most engineers do in the the design and drafting part of engineering and work my way up. Um, then started my own business and did typical consulting for a while. Gradually over time, that that morphed into the forensic field where I would get calls from people to come investigate their building for different issues. Oftentimes water is involved, so that sort of let me to um, migrate into the building envelope arena and so today I find myself with GCI doing uh, building envelope consulting.
0: Great thanks Brett. Now today we're going to be talking about the topic of field water testing in forensic investigations and water testing is a subject that we discussed in our podcast many times before and in fact Paul Beers and Jason Bondurant did a podcast just a few months ago about this but today we're going to look at it in a little bit different perspective that is we're going to be talking about water testing and forensic investigations as part of litigation now let me introduce this first by saying that gci's objectives in litigation support services are generally the same regardless of what side of the table our client sits on whether a plaintiff or a defendant we want to investigate a claim and render an opinion no matter how pleasing or how painful it might be to the client. And at the same time, however, we recognize that there's a difference between the obligations of a plaintiff
1: and a defendant. That's right, uh, Will. Um, Plaintiff has the burden uh, to prove the defect in the case. And unfortunately, sometimes the building owner sees water coming in um, from an event, whatever that event may be and they tell us that it appeared, but that does not tell us exactly uh, where the water is entering. So we have to determine uh, where it's coming in, why it's coming in, and demonstrate that a problem actually exists that it, that's actually related to a construction defect in order to assist the client. And that could be, that water entry point could be anywhere, it could be the roof, it uh, could be the wall in several different locations, it could be through penetrations to the wall, be it a window or a vent. It could be the sealants, could be the paint, uh, could be maintenance or a combination of all these things. So in order for us to testify on a construction defect uh, case, we need to identify and prove that defect.
0: OK, uh, that's good, Brett. But how is this, what you just described, how is this obligation different from the obligation that a defendant would have if they're defending a case?
1: Well the defendant doesn't have the burden of proof if you know in our court system you're innocent until proven guilty so they don't have to prove that there's a defect for the plaintiff. So they obviously can investigate the claims being made at, at their level but they're not required to to prove the case against them.
0: That's true but we often see water leakage that occurs and the plaintiff apply, applies testing that sometimes implicates the wrong party, isn't
1: that right? That's true, that is true. And, and so at that point in time, perhaps the defendant might wanna do their own testing to, to illustrate that the, test, that the plaintiff's testing was done improperly.
0: Right, in fact, you know, I've, I can speak from some experience in this. I've been involved in some litigation Cases in the past where an investigation wrongly implied fault to somebody, but it ended up cu- uh, costing a lot of money to a lot of different people. For I give you for example, uh, one case in the town of Palm Beach involved a large estate in which the owner lodged a lawsuit against the developer and several of the defendants, and it. It was a case that uh, actually it went to trial and it was tried over several months as a matter of fact because it was a multi-million dollar uh, case. Um, We happened to represent a window uh, installer in that particular case. And uh, our position was that the plaintiff's expert who did uh, testing almost every single window and door in the home uh just simply did it wrong it was improper it did not recreate the 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 leakage that the owner was complaining about in fact they made new leakage occur in some instances and um it went to, uh it went in, uh, like i said to trial for several months and instead of a seven million dollar jury verdict for uh, the owner uh, they got a verdict in the low five figures Uh, which was actually awarded because of what the jury considered to be bad advertising on the part of the um, part of the uh, developer had nothing to do with the windows and doors. Um, The exact opposite of that I just seen uh, saw occur on a project down in Miami. It went to trial just uh, a month ago. And in that one, it was a, uh, another large thing, single family home in which the uh the owner's consultant recommended that the owner have testing done but they never did it so they never proved the the cause of the leakage and again it went to trial and uh in that case uh, I represented a window manufacturer uh on the defense and we got a defense verdict uh and then Another one I can tell you about is a large multi-district class action lawsuit, uh, which involved 14 plaintiffs, uh, unnamed plaintiffs in 11 states. The plaintiff's expert uh, performed the testing. Once again, it implicated uh, the window manufacturer, but it did it wrongly, uh, and they ignored all the other causes of water leakage into the building, which were clearly apparent, but they used the wrong test method in the test procedure and implicated the wrong party. And uh, eventually it got before the judge and the judge threw out the plaintiff's expert's report, excluded it in its entirety. So these are just three examples of occasions where one party in a case can be really very severely jeopardized if a testing agency or consulting firm goes about doing a poor job, so Brett, let's talk about a little bit about what makes an inspection and testing uh proper. What is a good guideline a good thing to follow here?
1: Well, there are different standards to follow, and we can kind of get deeper into that um, but to let's start out by talking about, uh, in general, about a, a window or a door product. So they are manufactured products, they're manufactured to certain standards, and they, they have different performance requirements based on the type of unit that you buy. So not all windows and doors are the same, they're not all, all going to perform in the same way. So typically what we get involved with uh, in these forensic investigations are water leakage issues. So an analogy there might be, um, and most people are familiar with car doors, and they have a gasket around the edge of the car door. And uh, most people have probably even seen on TV a car that drove into a creek during a hurricane or a flood or whatever, and those those vehicles they flood. So it's got a gasket on the door; it keeps the rainwater out when you're driving down the road. But if you inundate that vehicle, ultimately it's going to leak into the vehicle. So the same thing applies to to windows and or doors. If if their performance level is exceeded, they can leak. So one has to consider the conditions in the field and you have to follow proper protocol in order to, to develop a testing program that's going to actually properly test and discover where the water intrusion occurs.
0: That's all real, real um, good. And I, I admit I've seen that um you know, the example you give is a good one. You see that on the news often, and oftentimes uh, in the example you talk about, expectations of performance of a window are entirely different from uh, from various owners. And maybe this is a good point to talk about some of those guidelines of water testing and how they apply, particularly in, you know, we're talking about legal law, uh, situations here and why it's important. In a legal case, uh, to not just go out and put the window in a, in a puddle, but maybe,
1: <laughs>
0: for example, but maybe figure out a way to do it right? Uh, what kind of
1: standards are we looking at? Right. So there's a couple of different groups that we reference commonly. Um, ASTM is one of them, and then AMA is the other one. So ASTM is known by a lot of folks. Um, AMA is not so known, and we can talk about those two different entities separately.
0: Okay. Uh, that's good, Brett. And maybe before we discuss those important points of these standards, like you said, ASTM is not so well is well known. Maybe may AMA is not. Explain to our listeners a little bit about these organizations and their standards, ASTM and
1: AAMA. Okay. So AMA is the American Architectural Manufacturing Association. So it's an organization that publishes guidelines and standards related to the uh, manufacturer application, installation, and testing of windows and doors. And then ASTM uh, used to be known as the American Society of Testing Materials, but since then uh, gone global, and now it's just known as ASTM International. So ASTM International is an organization with 12,000 plus members. It publishes guidelines and standards for many different things, anywhere from household goods to aerospace. And this obviously also includes building systems and their components, such as doors and windows. Okay, super. So
0: when we're called to investigate water leakage in a claim in a legal case, let's talk about how these two organizations fit in and into the investigation.
1: Okay, well, uh, probably the best place to start is ASTM E2128 so that one is the standard guide for evaluating water leakage of buildings and walls and then another one is AMA 511 which is the voluntary guideline for forensic water penetration testing of fenestration products and for those of you guys that don't know fenestration is windows and doors essentially
0: okay so you also you know a little bit you mentioned uh earlier you mentioned forensic Explain to our listeners what's meant by that and how it differs it's differ, different from other types of investigations.
1: Well, there's a couple of definitions that are kind of floating around there. I guess one definition could be more of a legal definition where it states that forensic implies that it's in support of litigation. But I think over the years, forensic has morphed into being synonymous with investigative, invest, investigative consulting work. ASTM 2128 references forensic in its verbiage, and AMA 511 also references forensic in its title. Even those two standards just imply that forensic is um, for the purpose of investigating a condition in the field. In this case, we're investigating water intrusion through fenestration products, but it's it's not it doesn't have a specific definition necessarily. Uh, it's kind of broad.
0: Okay. So let's talk a little bit more now about uh, doing an investigation. And let's say it's in a case that's in litigation, whether whether we're working for a, a plaintiff or a defendant, we already discussed the various organizations and the standards that may apply, and we talked about how the burden of proof is actually upon the plaintiff in these cases, but there are occasions in which a defendant may also want to go and do a a thorough investigation and maybe even testing. So let's talk a little bit about, for example, these standards. Let's talk about the purpose of doing an investigation. Why should we do a investigation following a guideline such as, you mentioned ASTM E2128, why use 2128? Uh, what does it afford the the user?
1: Well, in general, the intent is that there's a, a laid out protocol there that allows the user to craft an inspection or forensic evaluation that can not only recreate the leakage that's reported to exist, but also do it in a way in which someone else can repeat what they've done. So it, it affords the other side an opportunity to test if they would like to in the same manner so all parties can test in a in a similar way.
0: So it, it's an opportunity then to do an investigation that's systematic but reproducible? Correct. Okay. So doing that investigation, there are... Certain steps that the guidelines recommend, but they're not all required. Is that correct? I mean, you can't necessarily do every one every time.
1: That's correct. And as long as you're following the intent of the standard and you're capturing the data that needs to be captured to to recreate the leak and illustrate where that leak is coming from, I, I think that would follow the spirit of of the standard.
0: Right. Okay. And For example, as I understand it, um, for example, one of those things that it recommends that you do is uh, it's called a document review, uh, in which the investigator collects all the uh, construction documents, uh, like plans, specifications, uh, performance records, all that kind of stuff that dealt with construction of the building. And remember, you mentioned building fenestrations, but of course, when we're doing an investigation, we're, we can't just focus our eyes only on the fenestration, but we need to look at all of the building uh, components that uh, surround the windows, doors, and the wall construction, the exterior wall cladding, the uh, finishes, the sealants, and all those kind of things. So they're asking you to collect all these documents, but in my experience, I don't know about you, but in my experience, uh, usually those documents are not available they often don't exist have you found that to be true
1: absolutely and i'd say even um, a lot of the documents show construction that may not be consistent with as-built conditions either and there could be there could have been um, re that had been done repairs maintenance those, those types of things so you have to evaluate what you the conditions you have in the field with whatever documentation that you can acquire and then with that information hopefully you can piece together the existing construction and perhaps um some of the issues that could be occurring. Right,
0: and you mentioned you said one of the conditions may not be this uh in the field may not be the same as what was originally intended anyways. And one of the things that the guideline recommends is getting a service history of the uh, of the building and and the components. Is that where this falls in? A service history?
1: That'd be part of it. Absolutely. You need to, one needs to figure out as best they can where the issues are reported to be. Some of that's going to be within the service history document of the building, the maintenance records. So that'd be part of it. And then you, going back to the document review, one also has to figure out what the design concept is. So is it a uh, a drainage plane is it a sealed surface barrier system. Is it a mass wall system? You know, and, and what the the cladding material is, the requiring requirement for the installation of that particular cladding material. So you're trying to develop an overall understanding of how the wall should should have been built, how it is built, and then also how it should be performing. Right,
0: and each one of those things that you mentioned, like a drainage system, a surface barrier system, mass wall, and so forth. We could have a whole separate podcast on each one of those so we're not going to go into all of the details of that today but the point is that before or, or as part of a, uh, an investigation you need to understand how the building is supposed to be working correct correct that's right all right okay and then uh, once we have this background information, then we can get into doing uh, doing the inspections, uh, testing, uh, so forth, uh, analysis, and and all these other things that go along Let, uh, along with that. Let's talk about testing for just a minute. And again, according to the guidelines that are published by um, by ASTM 2128, for example, what should be the objectives of someone if you're going out there to do the testing. What are you trying to do by that?
1: Well, at the end of the day, one is trying to recreate the leakage that's been reported to observe to occur, or if the investigator can observe it themselves, or even if they can, if there's no indication of where the, the leakage is coming in, if they can visually uh, discern it, what they think is going on. They take all that information, they try to figure out, you know, where it's occurring and, and try to recreate that leakage. Okay.
0: There's, in the standard, it talks about tracing leakage paths. And as I understand this, uh, way I try to explain it to people is when you're standing inside the building and you see water collecting on the inside, let's say it's uh, at the bottom of a wall, uh, it is collecting on the floor. That tells you where the water appears, but it's not telling you how it got there from the outside of the wall to the inside where it's appearing on the floor. And that's where the standard says trace the leakage paths. How do you go about tracing the leakage paths?
1: Well, the short answer, I guess, is isolation. But um, I mean, I've had instances in which even isolation didn't didn't do tracing the leakage justice because water travels or can travel in places that you you may not think. But ultimately what we wanna do is we wanna try to isolate the wall conditions so that we can test it incrementally. And then by doing that, we can hopefully isolate the entry source of the leakage. Now, um, in the cases in which it's not immediate around the, the opening, you may have a crack, let's say, you know, a few feet away that you're not aware of, water could be getting in through the building cladding in that location and traveling towards the window unit and even manifesting, like you said earlier, at, at the floor, and you may not even see it around the window unit.
0: Right. There are occasions, in my experience, that the only way you can, even if you do the isolation, like we talked about, and we'll probably talk about in a little, a little bit more detail, a lot of times the isolation, For the benefit of the listener, what we're talking about here is applying covers strategically on the outside of the building so that uh, various areas are not subjected to the water spray when you're doing a water test. So you're only you're only testing certain areas, and that way you're able to more better define the location where water is entering the wall on the outside. But even when you do that, sometimes, for example, let's say you have a wall with a that you're testing that's uh, 10 feet wide and you narrow it down to a, a section of the wall that's only one foot in width. So that tells you the water is coming in at that general area, but it's like you talked about earlier, if you're talking about a drainage design, water that's coming into the wall, uh, let's say it's getting past the stucco at that point is supposed to be collected and drained backed out. But if it's not, if it's coming in, there's still a defect that's causing that to occur. And my experience is the only way you can find that defect is often to do destructive testing where you need to remove stucco or remove drywall on the inside and take apart walls, uh, take out windows, whatever, in order to find uh, what is the defect that's causing that leakage to occur? Uh, do you agree?
1: I agree. And, and part of the standard actually requires that the drywall in the interior is removed around the window. So when you're doing testing, yep. you can observe the conditions where the water may be coming in. Right. Um, and sometimes right. You, you do have to remove the cladding in the window. I, I've gotten lucky a few times and actually been able to isolate. That was a kind of a unique situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Typically, you got to do DT.
0: OK, so let's talk a minute about those tests. Uh, we've thrown a lot of things out here. ASTM may, uh, has a test method out there. Uh, explain basically what that
1: is. E1105 is the ASTM uh, water test method, the chamber test. Essentially, it specifies the chamber that needs to be built uh, and a and a spray rack that needs to be built and calibrated so that you can apply water to the outside face of the building. The chamber allows you to put pressure on the wall assembly and the pressure differential, you're trying to recreate the wind conditions that are that are reported to have occurred when the leakage was occurring.
0: Okay, and that comes from ASTM 2128 also. They say that you need to recreate those conditions, but then there's a document by AMA out there, AMA 5.11, that gives some guidance for how to do that,
1: right? Right. So AMA 5.11 is the Voluntary Guideline for Forensic Water Penetration Testing of Fenestration Products, and that references the ASTM E1105 test method. So they work in in concert, so to speak, but 5.11 gives you a little more information in terms of performing a forensic evaluation using the ASTM E1105 standard test.
0: Right, and it as it even gives you examples about uh, how to determine those pressures to be used to recreate the wind-driven rain, I think uh, uh, research the weather records and all that kind of stuff. So it gets into a more detail that you don't have in E1105, so that's a big help. One of the things that I think we ought to talk about here briefly is – types of tests that might not be appropriate in doing, I mean, uh, we see it happen all the time where, in fact, I mentioned examples where people did testing improperly. Give us some examples
1: there of what type of things could be improper in testing. Well, improper application of the standards. So, for example, um, when you're building a a building and installing windows that are new there's a standard that apply or several actually that apply to those products uh, one of them is AMA 502 and that's a specification for field testing of newly installed fenestration products and that that standard says in a nutshell that these products as they're manufactured and they come off the assembly line are going to perform at a certain rate uh, with respect to water resistance but when they're installed in the field we're going to give a one-third reduction in that factory performance because of the transportation the installation the effects of installation on the product being slightly out of plum those kind of things so that new standard would apply only if once you have been given your co for the project then that window is now considered installed and you can't use that standard after that time. Sometimes it it applies a little bit further on. It'll it'll extend to six months after being installed if you haven't gotten your CO yet. But the purpose there is that's a new product. Once you've gone past the new product stage of an installation, you're, you're migrating into the forensic realm and you have to use the AMA 5.11 standard to test if there's any leaks for that that product. So let's let's kind of tie that together so it makes a little more sense. So you install a new product, you would use AMA502 to test it according to the required pressure for that particular product. If it fails, then you would correct whatever the failure is and assuming that minor correction that you'd make, maybe it's just adjusting the window or whatever, and it passes and you get your CO after that date if a leakage occurs in that same product, it it would become a forensic evaluation because it's passed its it's gotten its CO or it's passed its six month age. Let's say that a window was installed a couple of years ago. Obviously it's passed its six months and gotten its CO, so now you're you're starting with a AMA five eleven to begin with. The yeah, six months the is a
0: cut off date? Okay.
1: All right. Yeah that that's the cutoff date provided by um uh the standard five oh two. So if someone were to test an existing window that already passed its six-month cutoff or gotten its CO, and they use that 502 standard and test it to its newly installed field water resistive pressure, that would be an improper la- proper application. And they may be creating a new leak versus recreating leakage that's occurred in the field. So that's why AMA 511 is, is important because it gives you the criteria that you need. In order to evaluate the conditions in the field that created the leak, and then use that standard to test and, and rediscover or recreate the leakage.
0: Okay. How about I see uh, this happen often? Is somebody goes out there with a uh, garden hose and a spray nozzle, is puts that on windows or whatever? Is is that appropriate?
1: Yeah, those are not appropriate on operable windows. They they could be used as diagnostic tools, but not on operable windows. And that could create a, a new leak in an, in an operable assembly.
0: Okay. So that gets back to what we were talking about earlier when you were saying recreating leaks uh, versus here we're making a new leak. And, you know, there's a paragraph in ASDM 2128. In section 10 of that document, that I always think is is quite interesting, it says creating new leaks during testing may be useful information, but it is not a valid assessment of the existing leakage problem. So basically, that's saying you can go out there and test. And if you look at uh, 2128, it lists out several different testing methods, but it's basically telling you that if unless you recreate the leakage. Anything else is really of not of much value because you're making conditions that you're making leakage occur that would not normally occur, and your objective should be out there to find what's going on by recreating the leaks right correct okay and then another thing that i've often found is in twenty one twenty eight which is kind of telling about this. This whole issue is uh, in one of the one of the appendixes to that document which deals specifically with windows and doors. it states um, make a careful distinction between leaks caused by windows or glass metal curtain wall systems and leaks that originate from other wall components that appear to be window or curtain wall leaks on the interior. Windows are often wrongfully blamed for leaks because the interior symptom of a leak appears at a window, even though the cause is elsewhere. This gets back to what we were talking about earlier. You might find water on the floor. It could be right below a window. But unless you do the testing properly, you're not going to know whether it was a window or a flashing defect or a sealant defect or what the defect is. Is that right? Or a combination of all those. Or a combination of all. That's right. So I guess this, uh, what we've talked about here are various aspects of testing, how to use those in a litigation. And I guess these are just some examples. Getting back to then to we talked about briefly about uh, isolation. Explain that in a
1: little bit more detail. So that could also be used inappropriately or um, typically it's not done at all. And that would be the appropriate part because if you're not making sure that your testing recreates the leakage then you could have several different entry points that apply to different components of the wall construction and you're not defining why the water's coming in and where the water's coming in. So that um, lack of or improper use of isolation would be another inappropriate testing method.
0: Yeah, that's that's all true and another thing that I see happen quite often is people use uh, improper pressure differentials and what I mean by that is uh, We talked about the need to recreate leakage at the conditions which have occurred um, in a forensic evaluation, and oftentimes we'll see a firm go out and want to do water testing based upon uh, performance standards when the windows were brand new, or they just totally ignore the weather conditions that have been known to occur, and they they test it at Uh, weather conditions that far exceed anything that's ever been experienced at the project site, and they create leakage, uh, which, again, is leakage that is not representative of what's been known to happen.
1: That's right. And uh, sometimes uh, if the pressure that has occurred in the field and you're trying to go back to that wind event, if it exceeds the product capability, then you're supposed to go back and test at lower pressures before you test at the higher pressure to, to demonstrate that wind event did exceed the capacity of that window, and they don't necessarily do that. So yeah, those are some good examples of how consultants you know, fail to comply with the recommended guidelines and the results just weren't good for their client.
0: Right. And I think we've seen several cases where either a plaintiff or a defendant ends up spending a lot of money chasing a case by hiring an investigator, a consulting firm, and then they see that money go to waste because of a failure to execute an investigation that's in general conformance with the published guidelines
1: that's right so it's all summarized the litigation matters where water leakage is alleged requires a pretty much a methodical investigation you've got to follow the guidelines at least the spirit of the guidelines which is the majority of them there are there's some flexibility in utilizing the guidelines given your unique situation in the field but you have to follow the spirit and have a reproducible testing and trace the leakage that describe the type of investigation. So that testing differs from the testing that's used in new construction. And I think a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of that. And that's what makes the difference between forensic testing and new construction testing.
0: Right. And failure of a, a consultant firm to do an investigation or uh, and perform their work in a manner that com- generally complies with these guidelines, ends up placing their client's case
1: in jeopardy. Uh, that can not happen, absolutely. Well, Will, uh, that was fun. I enjoyed the talk today. I appreciate it, it's a big issue, and uh, it's something that we here at GCI deal with every day. I'd like to thank you for that's listening on the call today. If you want more information about GCI Consultants, we've got some videos and, and things like this podcast on our website that show water leakage testing You can find that at uh, www.gciconsultants.com, and that's consultants with an S. If you've got some specific problems that you'd like to talk about, you can reach out to us today at 877-740-9990. And again, that's 877-740-9990. Thanks again, everybody. I look forward to talking with you next time in the future on everything Building Envelope,
0: Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.